0: Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator.
1: And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you very, very far from our at-home studio or any other campground that you might be... In that is not near us.
0: Very, very far, I would say. Because we are in Paris, France. Hey, but we bring our portable studio with us, ladies and gentlemen, so that we can keep you up to date with the latest with the RV navigators, even though we should just call this the travel navigators.
1: Even though I lobbied the um, chief of this operation that I would just assume go out of the hotel and see Gay Paris, I'm here
0: we're dedicated
1: commenting RV our references to you because we hear that you are waiting for us and we do appreciate that and we that. know
0: that the first of the month is coming up and we have to get the podcast underway and we're glad to talk with you this is episode 208 for August 2022 of the RV Navigator that has been in in broadcasting since 2006 we're glad to be with you and glad that you're following the travels of the RV Navigator because We are not uh, RVing this month. Last month we left you wanting to know about our trip to Italy because we left on July 4th, the American holiday, and we flew to mm, Genoa. Genoa. (laughs) It was a month ago. I can't remember anything. And we had a great time doing Cinque Terre. Cinque Terre. Ah, Well, of course. I'm not Italian. The
1: five cities on the Adriatic Sea. Do I have that right?
0: Okay. Uh,
1: very picturesque towns that are a UNESCO World Heritage Site and were teetering on the edge of collapse and economic decline and people leaving when good old Rick Steves, the noted travel <laughs> Re- expert, revitalized the area. Uh, discovered them and put them on yeah, the I tourist map and... Huh? I read his book. Yeah, yeah, and we listened to his podcast too, and we are very glad that he did that. But apparently, lots of people will <laughs> read his book because it was very crowded, mostly with Italians, I would say.
0: Yeah, and they go there for the beach, and we went there for the scenery because it is these five little coastal cities, uh, all of them less than a population of two thousand.
1: Yeah, and the biggest some one was twenty
0: five hundred, and some of them was eight
1: hundred. Yeah, and then they had sister cities at the top of the mountains because the Cinque Terre cities, cities, towns are on the water, and one of the sister towns had eight residents. So we're <laughs> talking about
0: and we went there a
1: really boony place.
0: So we had a really good experience there because we had for the two of us our own guide 24/7. We've never, we've never had this before. But we booked this as part of a what they call a pre-trip to our main trip which was uh, the rest of Italy and we were the only two people and what company can afford, I don't know how this happened. This is can afford to do a 5-day tour with a guide and, and you know all the transportation and meals and all the stuff that was included. And for two people, it just doesn't make economic sense. But from our perspective as the recipient of that, wow.
1: It was wonderful. We
0: had a lady who was with us. And because we were the only two participants in the program, which could have had as many as... 10 or 12.
1: Yeah, not, not that. They were set up for that. Six or eight, maybe. It was supposed to start with four people. Two of them canceled right before we got there, and they could have easily canceled us, which would have left us in major problems because our air flight arrangements yes. were already made. But instead, we had a wonderful time with Giada, who had powwows with us every day. <laughs> what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? Are you exhausted yet? Yes, I am. And, um, it and was of course, wonderful. she
0: was a local. And that's one of the other features that uh, this company puts w- with us, is, is that they all their guides are very local. And she knew the restaurants. She knew where to do our laundry. She knew everything that we needed to know, how difficult the hikes were, and which hikes were the best, and the most scenic, and where we could go swimming, and, and what the procedures were.
1: We were scheduled to take a boat tour of the Cinque Terre, which meant taking a boat out on the water and looking back at that gorgeous coastline. They they couldn't justify the price of that for just two tourists, but she knew some local guy who she hired, and we went out and did it anyway.
0: Yeah, and taxi drivers, and she just knew everybody, and it was such a pleasure because she was there to help us have a good time. <laughs> what could she ask for in terms of a tour? I wish we could afford that kind of... Uh, all the time. All the time, right. Although it's fun going with people.
1: So we should give a plug to the company that we are traveling with. Uh, You've heard, heard about them from us before. Overseas Adventure Travel is, in our opinion, one of the best travel companies for people who want to do something more than being a tourist, learning about the places and the culture and the people, and not doing one of those, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium kind of trips, because you concentrate on a certain area and really get to know it well. And In our case, this was northern Italy.
0: Yeah, so we spent five days doing this, and then we joined the primary trip, which was northern Italy, and one of the good things about this is is that it really didn't visit any large cities. We spent one day in Milan. That's because uh, the rest of the group arrived right in Milan. There. And the rest of the time we spent in northern Italy, touring little, little villages and seeing the, the fabulous sights that uh, the Dolomites and the Alps have to offer. It was a great experience and for even for the main trip, we only had twelve people, and that's of course one of the big benefits of going with a company like this. We were well; you can stop in almost any place, and you won't be inundating the the services that are available. No and long lines
1: for no. the ladies at the bathroom. <laughs> oh, Another important factor.
0: The men don't have this problem, but uh, I understand the ladies sometimes have to wait for in the bathroom. Interminable. So we're very pleased with uh, this, and who, what company can afford to run a uh, five-day tour for just two people without breaking the bank? And we didn't have to pay anything extra for that <laughs> that very beneficial service.
1: A few thoughts about our itinerary. I think when you have never gone to Europe before, you want to go to the big cities that you've heard about, and of course, everybody wants to do that, which is why they're so crowded in the summer. Um, and because we are fortunate enough to be past that point, we were able to spend most of our time in small towns, which were a lot more user friendly. You didn't feel like you were going to get lost or overwhelmed by people. Uh, We were amazed at all the food that we enjoyed because the things that were on the menu you'd drive 50 miles and they would be totally different.
0: I think that's one of the things that surprised me the most is is that Italy is not just pizza and spaghetti. As a matter of fact we learned this is unbelievable there is no such thing as Alfredo sauce. We made it up. And pizza uh, which I'd always kind of not really liked Italian pizza because it had all sorts of frou-frou stuff on it. Well, they put stuff but, like hard-boiled eggs but, on it sometimes. I think in America, we think that pizza is really the uh, one of the staples, but it's very different here because I think it's even more of a staple in Italy, which is hard to believe because... Everybody goes out to a restaurant, and every restaurant, every restaurant has pizza for sale. Absolutely. And they're not big pizzas. They're the individual pizzas. So I sit down at maybe a 12-inch or 10-inch or something. I get a, a small pizza, and people are eating it on the street, I mean, at tables that are well that's the alfresco. dining fresco. Dining fresco is much more common. 95 degrees outside, and they say, would you like to eat inside or outside? But what do you have to ask? Is the inside air conditioned? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) So we have been enduring... Very hot weather, um, so we would try to eat inside, but often the inside wasn't very cool. So we'd end up eating, end up eating in the street uh, at a nice little table, watching the the traffic go by. But every restaurant has pizza, which is something we can't see in the United States. And there was no, well, which is okay, but I mean that's the way it is. Uh, and there are no fast food places. I haven't hardly seen a burger for sale at any place.
1: To me, the best fast food places we ate at were when we were on the expressway Uh called the Autostrada here and they have these rest stop, truck stop kind of areas called Auto Grill and they had what I would consider Gourmetish kind of food. <laughs> it was a Whopper at Burger King and immaculate bathrooms and extensive shopping like the Bucky's. We still haven't yeah. been to a Bucky's back home, but that's yeah. what it sounds like to me, that kind of an experience. So when we were on the Autostrada, we were always happy to have a stop because we knew we could get everything that we needed
0: there. It's kind of like a mini grocery store, uh, which is true for many of the rest stops in the United States, but they didn't have this kind of gourmet food. And everybody stops for a coffee coffee. coffee and what's a coffee
1: it's like three thimbles
0: (laughs) Um, and you stand up i mean we sit down and have a coffee and you you have a conversation and you drink a couple of cups of you know eight ounce cups of coffee and 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 take a little time our guide and our driver this would be a coffee stop and they would stop they would step up to the counter put it back and (laughs) we're on our way because he would say oh we're going to stop for coffee now and we'd think, oh my God, we're going to be here forever. But no, this is. Not the way they do. And, and people line up. 10 deep in order to do this. I mean, and you stand at the counter and chug it back. You don't get a paper cup that ah, you lots of things with. that you learn about a different culture than what is it's like at home. But of course that's why we travel.
1: And for me the taste of the coffee after I finished swallowing it was like I had a charcoal briquette in my
0: mouth. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> espresso, yeah, it which is really bad news.
1: so, so a, brief com- a brief another brief comment on the food is that um, when we were in the Cinque Terre, pesto was on every Menu and was on everything, everywhere we walked. People were growing the basil to make it fresh. So you, you didn't even little, have
0: red sauce.
1: You saw little mortars and pestles where you could I, grind it up properly. And I'm kind and of turned off
0: by green spaghetti sauce.
1: I liked it. <laughs> it, it no, well,
0: that, that's it. It just when I look at it, I say, oh, it's green. I don't want to have green sauce on my pest on my spaghetti. But this was actually pretty good. It, it was made with.
1: Olive oil, pine nuts, garlic, and basil
0: leaves. And it was fresh to the point where you couldn't ship it because if it got warm, it would be... It would spoil or yeah, something. Yeah. So they this pesto that they had in Cinque Terre area, actually in the Genoa area, has to be fresh. There's just no alternative, and so you don't get it anyplace yeah, else. Yeah, which
1: is why when we moved 50 miles north, we were eating something totally different.
0: <laughs> and, of course, all the different fresh pastas.
1: And you kind of got a clue for what you would be eating when you looked out the window, because um, at the end of our trip, we were in the flatlands, it reminded me a lot of Illinois, uh, where everybody was growing corn and in that case, uh, what was on the menu was stuff made with polenta because that was using the local corn. Uh, sad stories on the TV news about the Rome area, which is another very flat part that used to have a lot of water from the Po River and its tributaries where they would grow rice. And if you're an Italian food aficionado, you know about risotto, which is a very special kind of rice they grow risotto? there. Risotto? We saw in the news that 70% of the rice crop is failing because of the drought and the high temperatures here. So, eating local is really a passion for the Italians. I guess that's our bottom eating line.
0: Eating local and fresh. Yeah, yeah that's a, a key. Now, you notice that this podcast, the subtitle is The Iceman Cometh.
1: And all we have been talking about was <laughs> heat and drought.
0: But uh, I bring my American standards with me as I travel across the Atlantic.
1: And we have to say that your American standards have been more easily satisfied on this trip
0: than in trips to Europe at the Well, I've just been more aggressive about it.
1: Well, I think they are a little more used to your eccentric needs. In
0: in this case, I am the ice man. (laughs) I love to eat in crunch ice. I like nice cold Cokes and beverages. Especially when it's hot. I like nice cold water. I like my ice in my water. But as we come to Europe... It seems like ice is uh, kind of tolerated but not accepted. So if you ask at a restaurant they bring you a Coke or a bottle of water Which and you probably say refrigerator cold. It's probably refrigerator cold. But if you ask for ice, they bring you three cubes in a glass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Except for on occasion he would get like a whole bucket full of ice.
0: Well, that, no, well that, I would go down to the bar at the restaurant and I would say, can you give me some ice? And the guy would say, how much do you want? Well, he'd bring out a glass with some ice in it. And I would say, no, 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 that's not nearly enough. And he would say two glasses and I would say you, can, you can't, can't you give me a bucket And they don't have ice buckets but they do have ice machines and there's nothing like that on the floor of your hotel I mean that would just be unbelievable.
1: Well nobody would want it but you <laughs> and,
0: and even at this very nice Paris hotel we're spending big bucks at this ho- Paris hotel right now you
1: could camp for <laughs> a week for what we're a week yeah, at night. least
0: <laughs> um, and and they have advertised that they have an ice machine on every other floor. Okay, so I'm really happy. I go to the ice machine, and they have no buckets. They have no place to put the ice. And I said, "Well," and they said, "Well, so they, they give you a little tiny pitcher to put the ice in." So this ice man cometh to Europe, and this ice man has been very disappointed in the ice. But you know, this is just a a cultural difference we had an experience where we couldn't get any fresh air at our, our restaurant.
1: Oh, yeah. Half of my family is from Vienna, and when we visited them <laughs> the first time, it was in the middle of the summer, and it was warm, and, of course, nobody had air conditioning because Europeans don't like air conditioning, and we would tear open the windows and try to get a little fresh air from outside to uh, help evaporate our sweaty brows, and my aunt would scurry around <laughs> closing all the windows again, <laughs> and she would say in it's German... Um, stifling. that she didn't like the breeze passing through the room. We Regardless thought, wow, of how hot it is. We thought, well, my aunt's just weird. That's the way it goes. But we had a wonderful meal in Italy in a tiny little village. It was the 12 of us the and 12, probably six more local Italians who were doing were helping the, cooking us and the helping us prepare the meal and helping us sing Italian songs. It was a very fun visit. And it was a similar setting in that we were sweating bullets and they had all the windows
0: closed. And there was a very nice breeze outside. So we opened the window and the breeze comes in and they say oh my god there's a breeze here so they shut the door opposite the window thus cutting off uh, the breeze uh. but the window was open but of course when the cross wind was not there and so we just started to sweat and we all of us were saying open the door and they would not leave the door open they kept shutting off the, the access to the air I mean this is just a cultural difference uh, and, and one you have to expect and because we have experienced it in Italy and france and vienna where martha's family lives austria i have to say that it's just basically a european thing and of course her aunt found it unbelievable that i would want ice and she actually made ice especially for me she
1: bought a little tray that was like (laughs) six inches by four inches <laughs> made him some this
0: ice. tiny little tray, of ice, which I, which I could consume in in uh, uh, minutes. five minutes, so <laughs> that was an interesting interesting thing. So the iceman cometh refers to the fact that uh, there are basic cultural differences between us, and we have to learn to enjoy them, I guess. And then the second aspect of the iceman cometh is a f- wonderful museum that we hit, where we visited um,
1: a real iceman. Utsi is located see. Oh, oh, in...
0: Wait. Utsi. Uh, Utsi. Utsi. Okay, i got to get that right.
1: is located in Bolzano, which is the Germanic part of northern Italy. Um, he was born 5,100 years ago. Wow. and re- Literally. And rediscovered in 1991 by two hikers who were near a glacier um, on the Austrian-Italian border. And they saw part of his limbs sticking out of the ice <laughs> and thought, what the hell is this? And it turned out to be just oh. an amazing find. Uh, because he was so well preserved. He was freeze-dried so he was not not as plump as he probably was when he started because in the dry alpine air he evaporated but because it snowed on him and and then ice formed very quickly after he died, the animals didn't have a chance to get at him. So he was a virtually intact specimen from 5,100 years ago and they have uh, fought over where to put him (laughs) because the Is he Italian or or is he Austrian? And so did the Italians. In this case, the Italians won, and they put him in a marvelous museum and diagnosed and scientifically studied the hell out of him. Because he
0: was a unique specimen, which is really unusual that you find an intact body from 50... from 5,000 years ago.
1: And they autopsied him and figured out that he died from somebody shooting an arrow into his shoulder and its location meant that he probably bled to death so there was an unsolved murder involved in, in the Ötzi story. <laughs> um, he was called Ötzi because he was found in Ötztel, which is the valley below the glacier uh, where his body reappeared after all that time. They did DNA analysis on him so they knew he had brown eyes and kind of an olive complexion. Amazing. They could see all of the clothing that he wore in various states of salvageability, and he carried a wonderful intact copper axe. Uh, there's no which
0: for the copper age is really unusual.
1: There's no copper in that area at all. The nearest copper is 300 miles away. So they were thinking: Did he walk that far? Was he trading with people from down there? Um, it, he his finding raised right He's answered many questions and raised many more, and it was really a thrill to see him. So if you're ever in
0: that area... And we saw him live.
1: Well, they (laughs) you you know how when they find skeletons on the highway and they try to reconstruct this person, what did they look like before they got murdered? They did the same kind of reconstruction of him.
0: Well, but they had the real body there. We got to see the real, let's see... (laughs) Utsi. Never get that right. My language skills are zero, and I'm having a tough time here. Martha at least knows German, so we did well in the northern part of Italy. But (laughs) Utsi is... uh, they have him preserved in zero-degree freezer with a window in it yeah. so that you could see the body as it was uh, discovered. And it's it's just an amazing discovery and all of the, the wonderful science that has come uh, out of this. And the museum is very interesting because it, uh, although not much of it is in English... Because it was in an Italian and, and German. And people wait in line for a long time. Yeah, so
1: this again. is something you don't just drop in on. Um, because we were on a tour, we had uh, timed tickets and we walked like right in like we were the Queen of England, which is an, another nice reason to be on an oat tour. But definitely worth seeing and something that you may not have heard about.
0: So, would you recommend uh, traveling to Europe in the summer heat? No. <laughs> we have been very hot. And we have, I didn't bring as many pairs of shorts, but we everybody wears a sh-
1: We should know better by now. We read about it in the news
0: every year. About well, why did we come now? <laughs>
1: because in two days we're going to go on a cruise, which we also booked many moons ago.
0: Why do we do that in the summer?
1: Well, during COVID we were anxious to go anywhere yeah, and do it. anything, I think.
0: So now we're reaping the quote-unquote benefits of those plans. But uh, I haven't worn anything but shorts uh, since we left. Uh, Surprisingly, I have brought several pairs of long pants, but probably won't wear them much because it has been in the 90s and close to 100 on many days. And, of course, humid, too. And with the rooms not being uh, nicely air-conditioned, it's uh, been kind of unpleasant. Other times when we've traveled in the summer... like when we went to to uh india it was we had nice, cold <laughs> air conditioning in, this, in, the in the hotels, and so we always felt that we could at least get a good night's sleep, but here we have not uh, necessarily experienced that because the infrastructure is fairly old. As We've well, I
1: had say. Europeans tell us they don't like the smell of air conditioning. Yeah, I yeah. don't quite know how air conditioning smells. They don't like the feel of it. Even when we were at restaurants that had both indoor and outdoor eating, we would be inside trying to be cool, and they'd all be dining out for us. Everybody outside. would be din- it's dining a, It's out. a big cultural difference, and and I suspect that if it keeps being as ungodly hot as the climate change has brought to us all, they're going to have to change their views on that because it's virtually unsurvivable. As Ken was saying, I think we felt a lot more comfortable in India where we expected to be sweating bullets all day long because the air-conditioned hotels meant that we had a good night's sleep, and they sometimes could find air-conditioned restaurants that truly were air-conditioned that would give you a break from the heat. It felt like you couldn't drink fast enough and hard enough to Absolutely. replace all the sweat. Uh, so I would not yeah, recommend uh, Europe in the middle of the summer. And of course, in the middle of the summer is when all the families are on vacation, both American and European families, because yeah. that's when there's school holidays, so it's much more crowded. So,
0: so if that's I, all the only time you can travel, that's yeah, the time you travel. I guess if you and have a do choice, it
1: just like at home, spring and fall would be a better time to um, see the rest of the world.
0: Oh, I should mention, too, that the flight arrangements that we've had, the airports have not been uh, unduly crowded or we haven't had any real flight delays. We left Chicago. Things worked out well, except for our final destination when we arrived in Genoa.
1: You know, before we left, we saw a lot of news about f- canceled flights and lost luggage, and all those things that make you nervous when you travel, but we did not endure any of that, and we were kind of patting ourselves on the back until we arrived in Genoa and discovered that the pickup that we had booked from home uh, did not arrive. The guy said, we had a mechanical problem and we can't find anybody else to pick you up. Um, And so we thought, okay, we'll take a cab. Our hotel is not too far away. And then we discovered that there was a taxi strike. Uh, Italy is known for
0: instant strikes. It was a two-day strike, strike, and of course not really publicized outside of Genoa. So a two-day strike of taxi drivers. And what day were we there on? Day Day one. It had just started when we got there.
1: So luckily in the airport, there was a tourist office, and so we asked him, what do we do? And he said, well, there is this public bus that comes every 45 minutes that will take you to the central train station. And we said, okay, but that's not where our hotel is. Can we get a cab from there? Oh, no, but the metro goes from there. The metro
0: stop is a block and a half or two blocks from your hotel. All right.
1: So that was our only choice. There we are with our luggage, and we're tired because we've been flying all night. And, of course, everybody who flew into Genoa that day was in the same position, so all of us were trying to get on this damn airport shuttle bus thing, Um, and we had to wait through two buses, I think. It took us almost two hours just to leave the airport. And this bus was not set up for people This was just a regular city bus without any
0: extra luggage space.
1: We had to shove our suitcases up the stairs. It was just agonizing. Then we got to the central train station (laughs) and it was a big train station. Europeans ride trains a lot more than we do. And it had many arms and tunnels. And we knew that down one of those tunnels was (laughs) the the metro. (laughs) But if we went down the other tunnel Uh. and made a mistake we'd be taking the train to I, literally, I mean who knows? I
0: literally said help and a very nice lady responded <laughs>
1: our guardian angel arrived and she literally walked us from the train station to the, the metro, rode with us to our stop and walked with us to the hotel. God bless her.
0: And so she knew that, you know, you hate to with all your luggage and things, you hate to make a mistake and, you know, go down the wrong path or get off at the wrong station. It's hassle enough as it is. But she was there and I think she was going in our direction anyway but uh, she uh, knew where our hotel was and all, it was still a struggle because it was hot and we had to lug our, our baggage we called the hotel and said what do we do and they said and we, don't we can't do, help you. We don't, we don't have airport uh, shuttle services, so you're on your own. And this was, uh, what do you do in a situation like this?
1: <laughs> well, that's travel. We're talking to our viewers who have had flat tires and engine breakdowns and exactly. slide problems. It's, you just have to plan for something not going the way you planned.
0: <laughs> and something will, for sure. Uh, but this brings up the fact that uh, having a European SIM in your phone is probably a pretty good idea. Uh, We have, uh, one of the first things I did when we got to Genoa was to buy a European sim, and I got a a really good deal, thanks to our guide. For people like
1: me, you should explain what a sim is.
0: Oh, why don't you explain (laughs) it? For people like you.
1: (laughs) It's a little microchippy looking thing about half the size of a fingernail. (laughs) Yep, there you go. Which contains your phone number and is. The network information. Is programmed to have your account and how many minutes of data and uh, phone calling and texting and all the stuff that you're going to do is on it. So when you have a phone in the U.S., it has a SIM card in it for the number that you use every day. And you open that little slot and take that tiny piece of. Uh, electronics out and put in a different SIM card which is local to the area where you are traveling and you have a new phone number and your Boy, phone she, suddenly I knows I think
0: she really kind of understands this your phone Wow!
1: suddenly knows how
0: to speak I'm Italian I'm just going to sit back and learn from now on <laughs> and,
1: and learn how to navigate in Italy and in our case we bought a card that is good for the entire EU so not only did we have good use of it in Italy but now that we've arrived in France we have been able to continue using it which helped us with our airport pickup all sorts of things
0: it, it, it has yes and it helped us get back to the hotel yesterday because we got lost on the way to the Eiffel Tower so it's been very helpful but let me just also mention about the sim let's go back to the technology okay. here. the technology I think you'll agree has many many benefits it does. yes in this in this case it's been a real help but you say well why don't I just use my sim from home we have Verizon and to use our Verizon service in Europe costs $10 a day and I get half a gigabyte 500 megabytes of data and uh, I think unlimited calling and text for $10 a day. So for the 38 days that we're going to be here. That would be $380. That's kind of expensive. I don't. I, there are other plans that include uh, uh, U- U.S. carriers that include uh, plans for Europe, but they're all pretty expensive. So I went to a SIM store, and a SIM is the SIM is a SIM. So you don't have to worry about it not fitting, or because it's universal and it's in every cell phone, whether it's uh, an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever. They're all. It's universal. So you go to a SIM store that's usually run by one of the big carriers in the country that you're in. And Europe is especially not good now because they have uh, roaming agreements throughout Europe so that no matter where you are, your SIM will work while it's in Europe. And I bought the SIM, and it cost $30, which includes 70 gigabytes 70 gigabytes for $30. Unlimited texts, unlimited calling. So that is a real bargain when you compare it to the $380 for about 15 gigabytes of data, or no, 18 gigabytes of data from uh, Verizon. No comparison. And what do I do? I pop out the SIM when I get home and pop in the Verizon SIM, and everything is back to normal because the SIM it just is a little card slot on the side of your phone that you probably don't even notice, but it's there, and you just pop it open with a paperclip, clip and pop in the new SIM or replace the SIM that's there, and you're good to go. That's all it takes to, to make it happen. It's like so the we,
1: brains of your phone.
0: So we've been using our phone. I've been having it on uh, Wi-Fi hot hotspots so that Martha can access it too and we have uh, navigated and called and it's been a life-saver. a lifesaver, yeah. And, and, and like yesterday, for our pickup at the airport, we never would have found our driver had he not had our phone number. And of, of course, that's the downside to this: is that you're getting a European phone number that has to be used. U.S. people can call it, but you've got to tell them what the phone number is with the but European area code. With a with a country code and an area code, right? So, um, but that's for the in-country stuff. That's not a problem because everybody can just dial it like without the without the country code.
1: We should also add that because this is a business transaction and people buy burner phones and do drug deals, blah, 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 uh, there is some business involved. You have to bring your passport so that they can attach your ID to to the number that they're giving you. And it is very helpful if you can speak the local language. Um, in our case, we took our own personal 24-7 guide from <laughs> Cinque Terre with us who helped us do this. Uh, one other time, we tried tried to do it in Turkey and we didn't have our guide with us and uh, they spoke German and I spoke German and we tried to make it work <laughs> but as I recall we never had a successful combination well, of it's become, of a, it's become a easier SIM card and easier
0: there. to use sims because more and more people do this and that sim slots used to be not universal and they had different size sims and so there are some uh, some other issues which have been ameliorated since we have had uh, modern sims so it's it's pretty easy to do now some people have asked would you buy a European SIM off of Amazon? And my answer is no, because you're just not going to get the deal. I, if you can get a deal like I just said from Amazon, go ahead and do it. Uh, but I, would not, uh, I wouldn't think that Amazon could match the, the price that I got uh, in any way, shape, or form. And I didn't get a special deal. The, the SIM is only good, well, it's a monthly contract, so it's good for 30 days, which is fine by me.
1: Which leads me to mention again, as we did when we went to Costa Rica, that people are always fretting about yeah, buying Rica money Rica at home and having local currency. And once again, we have used next to no cash because uh, Europeans are credit card friendly now. Um, Italians Much used to, more
0: than the United States.
1: Italians used to cheat a lot on their taxes, <laughs> so their government oh. has required that every business accept a credit card because then there's a paper trail that they can uh, monitor the financial transactions and so you need, about the only thing you need cash for these days is going to the toilet because they still often make you pay unless you go into a bar and buy one of those thimbles of coffee and then they let you use their toilet for free
0: and the transactions that we've had at restaurants and things don't have a spot for tips so they add a service fee uh, called complete and that's uh, all you need you don't have to tip which is really nice um I, I really in the United States we just have not matched what they're doing here in Europe because almost all the terminals they bring in your hotel in a restaurant they bring the terminal to Two your it, it's battery operated obviously and you just touch your card for Bing, yeah five seconds to the to the unit and it automatically responds and they print out a a receipt right there for you and this is in the smallest restaurants for the smallest amounts it's just uh, been an amazing experience but we found this now in uh, many countries so except. The United States, I guess, where they take your card away and
1: can do strange things with it. Well, run the the card through a
0: machine or something. I don't know what happens, and then you have to add on a tip at the bottom. I mean, that's just crazy. But uh, that's just not available in Europe. So that's (laughs) they have a tip-free system.
1: And another thing, according
0: to our guy, by the way, this is the norm. We're, we were not cheating our our waiters and waitresses.
1: And another thing we studied, of course, as we traveled along, is the price of gas, as our viewers were especially sensitive oh. to that. And once again, we have to remind you, you probably know, that Europeans still spend so much more on fuel than we do.
0: With that said, the American prices are creeping up to the European level. We looked in Italy, and the price of a gallon of gas was a... Now, I'm, I'm making the conversion, but was a between... Uh, six seventy and and seven eighty a gallon so uh, that 's <laughs> within striking distance of what the gas costs in uh, in California so We did see quite a few RVs. Uh, It's surprising how many RVs are out there on the road. Of course, they're light uh, Class Cs. I didn't see any Class A motorhomes. No. And, of course, they're all diesel, and none of them, this is hard to believe, none of them appeared to have an air conditioner on the roof because I don't think there are hookups.
1: Yeah, we saw a lot of campgrounds, which were a parking lot. In a, a nice place Literally. where you would want to be.
0: So they didn't even have a generator. So there. they were boondocking. I guess so. Yeah. And, of course, air conditioning under those circumstances would be very hot. But I guess Europeans are used to being hot. I don't know. It just seems kind of...
1: We're wimps, I guess.
0: So what other parts of the trip did you like?
1: I really enjoyed the Dolomites, which was one of the reasons we chose this particular itinerary. I had never heard of these mountains until our friends from Munich took us there on a car trip, and we were just stunned by their beauty and said, we've got to go back there. It took us almost 40 years to do that, <laughs> but, it, but we did.
0: We're world travelers.
1: Um, many of the mountains in northern Italy are more like the Appalachians in that they are somewhat eroded and covered with vegetation. Very, very beautiful. But the dolomites are raw and limestone looking and kind of gleam white. And they told us we didn't get a chance to see that at sunrise and sunset, they really pick up the color from the sun, and they are spectacularly beautiful. You're going to be hearing about the dolomite region uh, during the next Winter Olympics. Some of them are taking place in that area. I know uh, the Women's Downhill and Slalom was going to take place in Cortina, very near where we were. So think of us when you watch the Winter Olympics and see for yourself how beautiful they are if you don't get a we chance to go there. we spent two
0: days in the Dolomites, well, kind of in the Alps and the Dolomites, and the, because the Dolomites are a subset of the Alps. And we had spectacularly beautiful weather. So as a photographer, whoa and these jagged peaks and we had snow and we had glaciers and we had uh, cable car rides and that was what we came for on this itinerary. It's
1: the kind of scenery you, you look for when you go to a James Bond movie. That's what I would compare it to. And of course the Europeans are suffering climate change, snow loss, glacier loss in that area as well. Right before we left home, one of the glaciers melted while people were hiking <laughs> on it and oh. fell on the people who were hiking below it. Uh, there were some deaths involved in that particular case and th- we saw many snow cannons because people have to make snow in this area area, they can't rely on nature taking care of it for them. And in one area we saw where they had little bits of snowpack left that they had covered with white blankets to try to keep it from melting and provide a good base for the snow that they were going to start manufacturing in October, they hoped, is when their season would normally start.
0: So the Alps area is fairly large, and we had one of, our <laughs> one of our fellow travelers have a comment from their relatives at home wondering if we were going to be bombed by, the, Putin. by Putin. And they didn't want this person to travel to Europe because they were afraid of bombing. And, you know, this is like in the United States. Because they have forest fires in California doesn't mean it's unsafe to go to Georgia.
1: Or even that it's unsafe to go to many parts of California.
0: (laughs) Exactly. You know, you have to pay attention to the areas because these areas are big and usually problems are uh, fairly Local. local. And, of course, the Ukraine is a big country, but we are a long way from the Ukraine. And this part of the world has just not been impacted by that other than having refugees and that sort of stuff.
1: One of our bus drivers was from Ukraine. I was surprised that she already had established herself and was making a living here in
0: Italy. So for many reasons, we have enjoyed this trip, um, and we enjoyed uh, the the oat experience, the small groups, the very personal service that we got, and all of these small group adventures that we went on. We went to a apple farm. We had a, what they call a day in the life where the community... Uh, took us and and cooked this meal for us and sang for us. Things that you just can't do on a big tour and we would uh, actively promote you if you're thinking about going to Europe (laughs) and your the company's called Oat. Which stands for Overseas Adventure Travel, but in the common parlance, it's old American tourists. But so, had, if you are in the category of old American Tourist... we had three ladies in our group who just turned sixty, 60 I so know. they
1: were quite young.
0: <laughs> but if you have the time, and they and they were still working, so they had uh, spent some vacation time on this, and this is uh, really a nice way to go. This particular trip, uh, I would always tells you that uh, it was three hundred and five dollars a day, but that's pretty inclusive. We have spent much extra no. except for a few meals and uh, a couple of other minor things uh, we haven't spent much money extra and but we have done a lot of exercise and so this has a been an active trip and how has this impacted your knee
1: i don't know how to answer that question uh, Okay. Um, I think I talked last time about getting an injection shortly yes. before we left which which seemed like a miracle at the time
0: a steroid injection, um, right?
1: in my case it was a short lasting miracle um, but when I'm at home I do what I want to do as I feel I can do it and when you're on a tour like this if an activity is scheduled you go do it or you miss out so I brought my knee brace and I needed it a few times our hike in Cinque Terre was especially taxing because it was a lot of steep up and then a lot of steep down, both of which bother my knee. So it's a problem that remains unsolved, but I was able to do everything that I want to do. And when I get home again, I'm going to have to think about some more what I'm going to do about this. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, um, now that we are... Um, staying in a hotel at the base of the Eiffel Tower, which is <laughs> a the thrilling experience, the Tower, to say the wow. least. Uh, for those of you who think that we are rich, the first time we came to Europe, <laughs> we didn't have enough money to go up in the Eiffel Tower, so we gave our camera to our friends who took it up for us and took some pictures. And now here we are, geezers with aching knees, but we are able to afford staying for a few nights right at the base of the Eiffel Tower. And of Tower. course, we have
0: not been to Paris in the Eiffel Tower for 25 no, years or, no, so no, or no. more. I can Remember the last time we were here. But uh, the Eiffel Tower has changed a bit. And that you, they have plexiglass around the perimeter of the Eiffel Tower, so you can't walk underneath, well, without paying, you can't walk underneath it. And to go up in the Eiffel Tower,
1: because it's so popular, you need a timed ticket, and that's something you need to plan ahead for. Where when we were here, doing it in our poor days Uh, you just got in line and you waited but what I was going to say is when we were walking around the Eiffel Tower from the outside taking pictures Uh last night we walked behind an American family who were remarking (laughs) to each other how much bigger it was than they thought because they were imagining something like the Eiffel Tower that they'd seen in Las Vegas And that made me stop and think. Um, I know that Epcot and Disney World is a very popular destination for Americans, and, the, and there's certainly nothing wrong with going there. We've enjoyed it ourselves. But if at all possible, we would encourage you to go to the real places in the real world and see them for yourselves. When you watch TV, you get an impression of places and they're not exactly lying to you, but it's only part of the picture. And you need to go to these countries um, and and see things for yourself. Just as in our country, there's no replacement for putting your own eyeballs on an attraction or something scenic. or And it might more.
0: be bigger than you expected. <laughs> I was surprised. And I think probably that might be the reason. Is this is because I was surprised how tall and how big the Eiffel Tower is. It Eifel was hard Tower to get it in the picture. <laughs> and last night we had a great time walking around it. It was a beautiful evening. Uh, actually pretty cool here in Paris. And we just went out for a walk. And I think because we had been in small villages, uh, and we have been dealing primarily with local Italians. And I mean, local meaning that they were either tourists in their own country or they were lo- actual locals. But the people we met were not the. International tourists that we're finding here in Paris. It was very crowded and all sorts of uh, ethnic groups and all sorts of people wandering around underneath the Eiffel Tower, which of course is one of the iconic... Everybody uh, wants to see everybody it. Everybody wants to see it and everybody comes to see it. And we're not used to these crowds but they were just it was just packed with people. I mean everybody doing their own thing but it was just... Uh, and hawkers selling all sorts of junk and, and it was just very, very touristy which... Uh, We have come to kind of...
1: Well, you need to do that first before you do some of the smaller, off-the-beaten-track things. Just like with RVing. When we first started RVing, we had little pieces of the summer to go, and we crammed as much as we could of the things that we'd heard about into those weeks, and then once we were there, we saw a lot of other things that would be worth seeing. Uh, There's never enough time and never enough money.
0: Yeah, but spending three weeks in just northern Italy and not doing any of the big cities, really, Except for a couple one day tours, it was something
1: we really enjoyed.
0: It's something we really enjoyed doing, and I think anybody would. It would be a, a it's a nice experience to kind of do the people to people thing and to meet with people who are not annoyed by tourists. I, know, I or get overwhelmed. The, or overwhelmed by tourists. Although we did find the restaurants and things here to be and the people to be pretty friendly and and helpful. So they're used to dealing with tourists, I guess. What about streamable? One of the problems that we've had. As we travel and as we're even at home is, is that we would like to cut the cord to our TV and uh, not have uh, cable anymore. But the problem is you can't find stuff when you want to stream it. And there's a new service called Streamable. The Streamable. It helps to find the best way to stream anything. Follow our daily streaming news, in depth reviews on streaming services and devices, and use our tools to find where your favorite content is streaming.
1: So it's a website which it's you'll a include the link for. Which on is free
0: our to use. And notes. it's called The Streamable, and it helps you find. Uh, where your programming is on streaming. So it's kind of like a TV Consoli- guide. A
1: consolidator.
0: consolidator, which is something that, that we have really needed. Or, of course, you can just go with uh, over-the-air. And you can get a TV guide for over-the-air pretty easily. But you've got to have an antenna, ladies and gentlemen. And a lot of people are a little confused about antennas for over-the-air. Uh, one of the things that's happened, as I think I've explained before, is that TV stations no longer broadcast on the channel that they were originally broadcasting on, <laughs> which sounds strange. But Channel 3 is no longer broadcasting on Channel 3, even though it's still call Channel 3. They've transitioned from VHF to UHF, which is no big deal for you. And it really makes no difference. But it does make a difference in the type of antenna that you have. Do you understand this? No. Why? Because I don't know it. Well, ask me a question. I don't know enough to ask you a question. So if you're picking up ant- uh, signals off the air, over the air broadcasts, it used to be that you needed a big wide antenna with big, ante- with big arms. Mm-hmm. If you see that kind of an antenna, that's for VHF. But nobody
1: broadcasts on that anymore. But nobody
0: anymore. broadcasts on that anymore. What you need is a UHF antenna, which is much higher frequency, and so the antenna is usually much smaller, which is actually good, but it's a whole set of different frequencies. If you do not have a UHF antenna, then you are not going to receive the signals, a strong signal uh, for those those broadcasts
1: is line of sight still still an issue? Yes, of course.
0: Uh-huh. Um, th- that re- actually UHF has somewhat less of a uh, broadcast area, but all TV stations have broadcasts have changed to UHF channels because they they're selling off the, the VHF channels to other uh, for other uses. So there will be no TV on VHF. So if you have a bat wing antenna on your on the roof of your motorhome or your RV, a bat meaning that big wide one. It's useless. It's not picking up any signals. (laughs) And you need to have the addition, the wingman, which goes on the front of that, which has little stubby uh, antenna receivers on it. Or you need a flat one. And the flat ones, uh, and even the ones that go on the wall, uh, that stick on a window are are basically for UHF. So UHF is actually uh, a benefit for most RVers because they uh, require a, what looks like a much smaller antenna. Now, of course, if you're in a very strong area for picking up a signal, then, you know, A piece of wire will be okay. But if you're looking to add distance, and most RVers camp in places that are fairly remote, you need to have a UHF antenna. Does it need to be high definition? There is no such thing. TV is TV, and... They all broadcast in high definition, and that has nothing to do with the antenna as long as the antenna is a UHF antenna, and that's what they usually sell now. They say, oh, you need a new antenna, but not because of high definition. It's because of the fact that it has to be UHF, which is just the broadcast frequencies um, for the, the, the current setup for broadcasting TV. So you can buy these. Now, our antenna on my, the roof of our RV is flat. It's about uh, half an inch thick, and it's uh, about 12 or 18 inches square.
1: Is it that big? It always well, looks to me okay, like a 12 hand. 12 inches. I don't a hand raising up. But a it Bahara. uses the
0: same uh, mechanism as our old bat wing, but it's a now a UHF antenna. So, it's, and it's just a UHF antenna. So I don't need, uh, and I haven't needed anything else. But you do need to also, in addition to this, you need to use the... transmitter locator and i'll put a link in our rv navigator notes for this month what is this month august 2022 episode 208 and you can click on this and or you get the app that shows you the location of the transmitters because frequently and this is the case in orlando for instance the transmitters for the orlando tv stations are not in orlando they're about 20 miles outside of Orlando because they cover east coast of Florida, uh, east of Orlando, whereas Tampa covers the western part of Orlando or the western coast. So uh, the transmitters are not located there, so you don't want to point your antenna towards Orlando. You want to point it towards the actual broadcast stations. And it's hard to it. just guess. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, well, I mean, after a while, you could figure it out. But this, device, this app just tells you where they are. And, of course, it tells you where the various transmitters are for different uh, networks. And frequently, the stations are located in different areas or in different. And sometimes there's a closer one. Who knows that uh, it, it would show you. So do you understand now?
1: Kind of. Are you? Um, are these signal booster things we talk about? Is that relevant here, or is that?
0: A signal booster is a good idea, um, but you can't boost nothing. Mm-hmm. You don't understand sure. what I mean by that? Sure. If you're too far you away to and your antenna is not big enough to pick up any signal, then you're not. not, not and you want the you want the booster at the antenna, not at the other end, because you want to boost the best signal you can and if by the time the signal goes through the wire if you boost it at the at the terminal end where the it goes into the TV it might be losing uh, strength through the wire unless you have a... Well, depends on the wire of the have, but it's best to have a booster that is attached to the antenna itself and boost the signal directly at the antenna rather than at the TV. So I think with that, well, that's a lot of RV stuff for this, this.
1: Pretty good for not RVing for two months. <laughs>
0: Pretty good for not RVing for a couple of months. And from here... We are going to go on a brief cruise uh, up some rivers in Bordeaux, which we don't know about yet. Three little rivers we never heard of. We are sitting here in transition between uh, the Italy trip trip and the the France cruise. And that's worked out perfect because it's at the beginning of the month. And early in August, we will be home, and we will be taking an RV trip to Door County... Oh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, which will be kind of fun. Hopefully the summer <laughs> heat will be... It
1: will still be August, but even if it's still hot, we'll be much better equipped to handle Because it.
0: we will have 50 amp.
1: We'll have our own.
0: Why doesn't Europe have 50 amp? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's expensive to redo. We were in a hotel that had these massive stone walls, and you could just tell that until recently they helped to keep the heat in in the winter and the cool in in the summer, but now he was looking at how am I going to install an air air conditioning system in this big old place. It's a nightmare for them and a lot of money. And the Europeans, of course, are worrying because so many of their energy needs have been met by Russian oil, and they're trying not to buy that anymore, and that's a huge problem.
0: Problem. Well, we have lots of stuff to talk about, but I wanted to kind of end off here on one thing that you just reminded me about, and that is the power, the electricity. We had one of our travelers, our fellow travelers, and have a question phone. about the conversion of one ten voltage to two twenty voltage. Of course, all of Europe, every t- every place we have been,
1: most of the rest of the world,
0: no a lot of the world, is 220. And she had this kind of large set of like adapters. A, like a things. brick. Like a brick, which was a converter from 220 to 110. And we've had some interesting things happen. If you plug in a 110 device into a 220 socket, what happens?
1: It blows up. <laughs> it overheats and then it blows up.
0: If it's a hairdryer, it goes... <laughs> And then just smokes. And we had a young lady who used a...
1: In, in olden times, we all carried uh, electricity converters because you needed them for this purpose, and we took students overseas and warned them about this, but she forgot that little lesson and plugged her curling iron right into the wall, and it heated up really well, and she rolled her bangs around it, and it just cooked them right off her, head, her scalp. It had that burnt hair it, smell. she was
0: a teenager with burned-off bangs. And all of a sudden, she had these little stubby
1: hairs where she used to have... Gorgeous bangs. <laughs> Lesson learned. But so, luckily these days, more and more devices have internal converters, I guess, and can handle either voltage right. automatically. If you
0: have a device that has a motor or uses, makes heat, you need some sort of conversion process. Either it'll be built into the device or you have to have an external voltage converter. Now, that's different than the converter you need to change the plug so that it will plug in the wall. So hairdryer,
1: curling iron, travel iron.
0: Needs to have a switch on it for 10, 110 or 220, and you need to use it. And
1: those are readily available at home.
0: Right. So that's uh, usually you don't need a voltage converter, but you do need a plug converter. And so this is a little confusing at times because uh, many people don't understand the difference. So... These days... We
1: have two flat prongs in our outlets, and they have two round prongs in their outlets.
0: In in this country. In in Europe. Well, not in in all of Europe. Not in the UK. Anyway, um, we bring just the plug converters because almost all power supplies uh, for your computer, for your phone, if you look on the... Um, label, it will say 110 and 220. They're almost virtually all, and there's no switch. There's nothing you have to do. So it will accept either voltage for your your cameras and all those electronic things. Anything USB will have a built-in voltage converter, but not the plug converter. So we bring along plugs that will plug into the wall and we let the converter change the voltage or it uses the voltage of the country that we're in. Um, so anything between 220 and 110 is uh, Seamless. nominal voltage is fine to use uh, with these plugs. And then we bring along a bunch of uh, <laughs> wires too to make sure that everything uh, we have the correct plug for USB because almost everything charges with USB these days, which is another big, big factor because we don't have to bring along specialized bricks that will operate your laptop or your iPad or your phone. They but, this, a, they but the lady a that large? we were talking about had her iPhone plug, her iPhone
1: uh, electricity uh, converter.
0: Well, she had that plugged into the electricity converter, and then plugged into the power converter. So that it would, but you didn't need to do that. And the power converters are fairly heavy, whereas the plug converters are are small, and you can have several of them to work with all your devices. And we bring along, of course, a power strip so that we have multiple plugs so that we can plug in multiple devices. But it does not change the voltage. Okay. So that was uh, a little treatise on (laughs) something that people may not care about. But I'm trying to think.
1: Did this bother us in Mexico?
0: No, Mexico uses one tank. And Canada does, too. Canada does, too.
1: So for RVers, it's probably not a problem. No, Um, Unless you rent an RV overseas. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why European RVs are not found in the United States and vice versa, because you'd have to change all the systems from 110 to 220 right. or vice versa. So that makes it really uh, an impossible system to... Uh, not worth doing. Not worth doing. So with that, we will say goodbye. Jeez, it's been a, we did managed to talk quite a long time. Sorry about that. Um, I, we hope you find these, these um, travel adventures interesting, and we try to uh, keep you posted as to what's going on with the RV navigators. And we will be back to RVing in this, well, a little bit next month. And we will try to uh, enlighten you uh, (laughs) about what we're doing. We hope it's interesting. And we hope to hear from you at uh, RVNavigator at Mac.com. And we will see you next month.
1: Thanks for listening and thanks for traveling with us.